And remain standing at your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19. So we're going to continue to practice Wednesday night. And we will keep standing Sunday night. Most of the time we'll keep standing. And uh, that way we can, we can save your knees there, right? But we're here in 1 Kings chapter 19. And is anybody tired today? Anybody worked hard this week and a lot of things on your mind? Well, we're in church. I'll encourage you. We got your Bible in your hand. And let's purpose right now to receive what God wants us to receive here in 1 Kings 19. And uh, for those of you that were here a few months ago, I think it probably would have been back in August, uh, we did a Sunday on the mind and depression specifically. And we looked here at 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, I was that's somewhat how the Lord led for us to go through the life of Elijah. And as we got here to this chapter, I debated over the last couple of weeks whether we skip over this since we've already done it. Um, or we look at it again tonight. So we're going to, uh, the Lord definitely wants us to be here again tonight. Uh, we're going to somewhat combine those two messages into one. But I think it's a good charge that we need to hear again. And we see Elijah in chapter 18, for those of you that remember, an incredible victory. We saw him against 450 prophets of Baal. And with the help of God, God did everything. Uh, that Elijah said God was going to do. And then we see those prophets of Baal be killed and, and uh, defeated at, the, at that point. And Elijah had this great victory. And we go from this great victory almost immediately uh, to a great defeat. And so as we look here in, in the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, uh, where we see Elijah again uh, humanized in front of us. And uh, we can be very helped by this passage tonight. So let's read here, beginning in verse 1. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged, belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. The same man that asked God to light the altars is the same man here just a chapter later wanting his life to be over. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights into Oreb, the mount of God. As we look here tonight, as I just prayed and looked over this chapter today, I was just kept being reminded of the thought, no one is above dark times. Not a single one of us is above dark times. So let's see what we can do when those moments come and how we can better prepare to handle those days. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be in church together tonight. And God, I pray that you'd be with me as I preach. Lord, I need you. I need your, your help tonight to deliver this clearly. And I pray that you'd help me to do that. Lord, I pray to be with everyone in the pew tonight. Lord, that you'd have them uh, with an open mind and open heart. Lord, I pray that Lord, whatever distractions or plans we have for the rest of the week, uh, whatever weariness we may have, Lord, that you would help us now to be alert and keep the devil far from this place. God, so we can receive your word and be helped tonight. Lord, bless this service in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You may be seated. There was a man doing some last-minute anniversary shopping for his wife, and he was uh, going about from shop to shop, and as, as many, many might do, he was at this certain store and found a clearance rack. And um, I don't suggest letting your wife know on your anniversary that you got stuff on, on, from a clearance rack, and that's where you went to look. But hey, if you find a good deal, you find a good deal. And uh, this man was there, and he found this little figurine of a husband and wife, and it was the same anniversary they had. It was their 10th anniversary, and, and they had their heads tilted toward one another. It was just a beautiful figurine that he thought his wife would really appreciate. And it appeared to be in perfect condition, so he's wondering, why is this on sale. Why is, why is it on clearance? Because the, the tag said it was damaged. And as he examined more closely, he flipped the tag over. And for this figurine of this couple together, he, he found under here and he chuckled. It says, the couple is coming unglued. That's why it was on clearance. And uh, I, as I read that story today, I'm reminded, uh, we all have stressful seasons of life, don't we? <laughs> and problems can overwhelm us. No one's exempt from those difficult moments of life. No one's exempt from difficult days. No one's exempt from trials. None of us are exempt from stress. And the devil is going to do anything he can to bring fear uh, to our heart. And as we look at this story of Elijah tonight, we need to just remember the fact that problems can overwhelm us. Has anyone ever been overwhelmed by a problem? We just saw Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel, challenging the prophets of Baal to see whose God would answer. And as he let them do what they did, they made a big scene. We saw him start to mock them. They got louder. They cut themselves. They, they looked crazy as they did all those things, and nothing happened. And Elijah comes there, and he dumps all the water on the altar over and over again. He, he has a sacrifice there ready to go, and, and God consumed everything that was there and dried up all the water that he'd piled on the altar. And then he was able to take the lives of those false prophets. And after we look at these great events on Mount Carmel, King Ahab was a little disappointed and a little shocked at everything that happened. He went home to his wife Jezebel and he told her that it was not the prophets of Baal that won that day as she fully expected to happen, but it was Elijah and his God who won. And not only were the prof their prophets of Baal defeated, but they were no longer with them. And that was very bad news for Jezebel to hear as we could read the story and imagine how she would have reacted to that. And she decided, as we read there, that Elijah must die. And as, as she said those things and she, she wanted Elijah to be killed and for him to be pursued, Elijah heard the warning. And, and as we read this, and we, we, it's very clear to us as we see all that God did, we saw how God answered, how God delivered, we see all these things happening as we read it. In your mind and in our heart, we would expect Elijah to not fear, right? He was against 450 prophets. He had all these obstacles against him. God delivered. So in this instance, God should deliver again. But as we look at Elijah here, as he gets this warning, he runs. He, he, he flees. Let's remember who this man is. He's the man that, under the command of God and direction of God, went to King Ahab three and a half years before and said, it's not going to rain until... God tells me it's going to rain. And what happened? For three and a half years, no rain. We, we see God bring him food by ravens, and he drank there out of the brook, and so that was over. Then he went to the widow there, and God provided them meal and to eat and oil every day to, to cook the food. Over and over again, the sacrifice was, was given. The, the, the needs were given. We see him raise a boy from the dead. We see God consume the sacrifice and enable the prophet to 
go over all the other false prophets. And in comparison, this one woman, Jezebel, was nothing. And definitely not too much for God. But Elijah hears this and runs. And he didn't just get out of town. As we, as we look here, uh, commentators believe he might have gone about 125 miles away to feel safe enough to stop. He left Israel. He ran to the southern border of, border of Judah as far as he could away from this attack that he felt was coming to him. And we look at this, and we look at Elijah and this great man of God that God did great things with, and we say, where's your faith? Do you remember who your God is? Do you remember what God did through you not too long before this? It's a weird choice for him to make as, as we look at this, and we understand what's already happening in his life, but sometimes trials come in our weariness, and they cause us to see things differently than they really are, don't they? You're here on a Wednesday night. Most, most of you have been in church uh, much of your life. You, you've, you've probably started a new Bible reading plan this year. You, you have goals for your spiritual life. You have all these things going on. You, many of you understand to a great capacity who God is and what God's capable of. You've been through Sunday school, you know many of the stories, you know what God did all throughout the Old Testament, you know throughout the New Testament what was done, you know what happened in the early church. We understand what God is capable of, but even though we understand what God is capable of, sometimes in our weariness, we don't think it's ever going to happen for us. Or, or we, we might just feel like Elijah and want to give in or want to run away or want to stop fighting. It's one of the effects that depression can have on the human mind. It causes the one suffering to think in ways that aren't logical. So we look at Elijah here. He arrived in Beersheba. He was far from harm at this point. He left a servant in a certain place. He traveled alone in the wilderness for another day. We can look there on verse 8 and the verses following. We'll read some of those here in just a moment. But he got to a juniper tree and he decided that he just couldn't go any longer. And we can picture Elijah there under that juniper tree, and he's sitting under and asking God to take his life. This is rock bottom for the great prophet. He's defeated. He wanted to be done with all of it. And there's a few things that Elijah did that possibly we've done in our life. The first thing we see that he did, he cut himself off from those close to him. We look here in verse 3, he left his servant. He, the only one he, had, he felt he had with him, he even left him. He didn't want to be around him. He didn't want to, to be in his presence. He, he left him where he was, went off by himself to be in his own misery. That is not rational thinking. And, and not only was, what, did he think he was alone with assistance, but there was more than just a servant that was with him. Look at, look at verse 18. God told him, yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which is not bowed unto Baal. Not only was his servant with him, or wanted to be with him, but there were 7,000 men that were on the same side as Elijah, that Elijah really was not considering. He thought he was all alone. They were there. They were definitely thankful for what God had done through Elijah, but Elijah never sought any of them out. He went far away from any of them to be by himself. One of the worst effects that depression or times of anxiety or, or sadness can do to our mind and our spirit is give us a desire to separate from everybody. And many have a tendency to think in that moment, I'm all alone and nobody understands me. Or um, I, I kind of think of, I think it was, I remember the, 
bird's name in Lion King, but he's saying, nobody knows the trouble I feel, nobody knows the sorrow. You, you understand? remember that scene there? That's a sad, lonely place to be. And, and we'll, we will find this in our church. We will find it in the lives of those people that we care about. Many times a Christian is going through a difficult time and the devil will come in and, and bring them to this false mindset to think no one understands me. I just don't fit in. Nobody can help me. Nobody can relate to me. Nobody really cares what, I, what I'm going through. And we, we, may, we may tend to try to get off on our own just as so we find Elijah doing here. But God has a purpose for the church. And we can look at the book of Hebrews chapter 10. He says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And when you're going through a difficult, we need, we need the church all the time, but when you're going through a difficult time, you definitely need the church. And the church is, is designed to help you. Not only do you come and you hear the preaching of the Word of God, but there's other people that, uh, that love the Lord as well and would like to pray for you, would like to help you, or just being there, you can be encouraged by, by what's happening here. I want to encourage you, uh, don't, don't go off all, all, all alone as Elijah did. Put yourself around people, purpose to be in church, purpose to receive what it is God wants you to receive. You know, Elijah not only cut himself off from those close to him, but he, he took his eyes off of God and focus on his own circumstances. One chapter before, he looked to God, what did God do? Delivered him in a great way, in, in an amazing way. And, and what an awesome thing it is to read that story and to picture all those things that were happening. So Elijah looked to God when he needed him on the top of the mountain there. He, he was able to, to go against 450 men, and his God was greater. But here's bad news in chapter 19, and we find him under this juniper tree, not looking to God, but looking to his difficulties, his sadness, his feelings. We don't find him really consulting God for help or asking God what he should do, what direction he should go. He made a decision to run without looking to God. And anytime any of us leave God and his power, his help out, we're in trouble. It's very important for us to live every day of our life looking to God. This is the, this is the last service you're going to see those, those banners up here, by His Spirit. Every day of your life needs to be lived by His Spirit. Every breath you breathe, every act you do, by His Spirit. We need Him. God knows what is best for us. Why, why would we not seek His will? Why, why would we not want to do what it is He's called us to do or instructed us to do by His Spirit or, or, or by His help and His strength? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Every, every time I, I truly remember what, what God has done for me or who our God is, my faith is strengthened. And every time you, you, you truly, I promise you, every time you truly concentrate or focus on who your God is, I, I promise you your faith can be strengthened. You can find help there. You know, Paul wrote to the Hebrews, he said, Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's where the focus needs to be. On him, not ourselves, not others, on him. And Elijah, as his focus was on himself, and as he cut himself off from those that could help him, we then find him really just wanting to throw in the towel. He wanted to quit. We look there in verse 4. 
O Lord, this is the first time he talks to him that we, that we find here in this point of his life. O Lord, take away my life. Take it. He wanted to die. He felt that life was no longer worth living. He'd lost all hope, hadn't he? As long as you can remember there is hope, you can make it. There, there is hope in Jesus. There is hope in heaven. And may we never forget who it is that is on the throne. There may be things in our life that, are, uh, that, that we have lost uh, hope in or that have discouraged us. But no matter how bad things are in the world we live in, our God is sovereign. Our God is immutable. Our God is ever-present. He's in control. He knows where you are right now. He knows what you're dealing with right now. He knows the burden of your heart right now. And he will see you through. You know, the church of Corinth was given this, this encouragement for our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We have hope. Don't give up. You know, all these things that Elijah did and said are very typical of people in dark times. He wasn't alone. And as, as we look at what was happening and we're, what was causing all these feelings, we, we wonder what might be the root of the issue or the, the root of our problems when we find ourselves in a similar position. We look at him, he says, oh Lord, take my life or I am not better than my father's. We, 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 that's kind of a weird thing for him to say. Why did that matter who, who he was better than? What needed to matter was who his God was, right? But as he looked to himself, he says, I'm, I'm no better than my father's, I'm nothing. And it appears that possibly, as Elijah was on this, this great high there on Mount Carmel, that he thought, you know what, no man, I don't know any man that's done what I did. Elijah in the Bible is the first one that we have any word on that was able to be used to help raise somebody from the dead. The first time it happened was when Elijah prayed and God did it. Elijah's there on Mount Carmel, he's against 450 prophets, said everybody thought we're going to be the ones to win, and he's the one that wins. It's possible that Elijah had come to believe that he was something special. God had used him in a great way. God had done some impossible things with him time and time again, but in the Word of God, we are told that God is no respecter of persons and that those impossible things are possible not because of us, but because of our God that can do the impossible. And Elijah must have thought that after all these things happened, that Ahab and Jezebel would repent and Jezebel would be running to him seeking how she could be, uh, have a relationship with the God that did all those things on Mount Carmel. But nothing happened as Elijah thought and as nothing happened, his system was definitely shocked and he found out that he wasn't who he thought he wasn't. And in looking at this and looking at his mindset, the question that he asked or the statement he made, I'm no better than my father's, his problem and one of the great reasons he came to this, this dark mindset was pride. He believed himself to be more than he was. And when he was reminded and hit with the fact of who he really was, he, he, he threw himself in the pit of despair. Christian, God has possibly done some good things in your life. Not only are you his child, you have blessings. You've had an impact on other people. You, you, you've had his joy and difficulties. I want to encourage you to remember where your victories have come from. I want to encourage you to remember what your God is capable of and, and why you have what you have. 
Remember where those came from. That's a, that's a problem in a mindset that we all face from time to time, isn't it? You know, Elijah was exhausted. He's exhausted physically. He's exhausted spiritually. And as he was at that point of exhaustion, which all of us are going to be there from time to time, the door was open for the devil to come right in and to discourage him. In our times of weakness, be ready. Be ready for Satan to attack. Be ready for those dark thoughts to come in. Discouragement is a great tool of the devil. Elijah's sitting there thinking, I, I worked hard. I've done everything God wanted me to do. I've given it everything I had. And when it seems like every, the work is done, there's still problems. They still want me dead. And Satan is going to work in those moments just as he did in Elijah's life. Every one of us understand tonight, you are not exempt from discouragement. No matter how strong you may think you are, no matter how close to God you think you are, you are not exempt from trials, you are not exempt from discouragement. We're not exempt from finding ourselves in a depressed state of mind. This great prophet of God fought it. Uh, we look in the book of Job, what did God say about Job? He said he was a righteous man. He, he held him high in esteem, but we find Job in, in the Bible fight, fighting periods of darkness. There's someone named David who is a man after God's own heart. We could read, read the Psalms, just a few of them. You're going to find this man is a, a, an emotional roller coaster in his life. He's in the pits of despair, and then he remembers who his God is. He's up here, then he remembers, hey, people want me dead. And he goes up and down, up and down. He had times of darkness. Moses fought it. Moses, the one that God chose to lead the people out of Israel, he said, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And then he asked God to kill him then. These great heroes of the Bible had moments of darkness. None of us are exempt from it. Don't think you're above it. Don't think you're too strong. Expect those times to come. But then when those moments come, there's some things I want to encourage you to do tonight. And we look at Elijah and we look at all these things that happened. He made it out of this. God helped him from this, the lowest point of his life. So how can we do it? The first thing, I encourage you to write these things down. Experience the goodness of God. We look at Elijah. He had no excuse for what he said. Lord, take my life. God was in control the whole time. Elijah's sitting there saying that nonsense. Lord, take my life. And we find God in verse 5. In the, in the following verses, starting there, coming to him and giving him what he needed. As, as we are thankful tonight that God didn't do what he asked for. And, and, and really, as we look at it and we look at the, the big picture here, Elijah might have deserved it. He had no reason to doubt God. He spent three and a half years under the, the training there, and God brought him through all these di different things so he could be ready for that, that experience there in chapter 18, and then all of a sudden things didn't go as he expected them to go. He's in the depths of despair. God could have taken him there. We would understand why, wouldn't we? But I'm thankful tonight that God doesn't operate that way. God, God had help ready for Elijah. And as he was there in, in this period of darkness under the tree, we see God show Love and compassion to this prophet. And the first thing he did, he let him rest. 
Elijah was definitely not where God wanted him to be. He was supposed to be uh, back home right there to handle business, to deliver a message that there were certain things that needed to happen there, but he's way out of God's will. And God let him rest. He let him get his strength back. And, and just very practically tonight, God created us to need rest. Make sure you're doing what you, what you need to do so you can have the energy you need to live this life. God created you to need rest. And when we've had rest, we can accomplish more and, and accomplish it better than when we are physically or mentally exhausted. You know, Jesus took the time to find rest. We look in the Word of God, we'll find that many different spots. Not only did God provide rest, but then God fed him. We look twice here in, in verse 5 through 8. An angel appeared to Elijah after he had a period of sleeping. He woke him up. He said, wake up and eat. He ate. He went back to sleep. He sustained him in the weakness. Again, Elijah is out of the will of God. But God never left Elijah. And when it came time, when God came to him in that low place in his life, he let him rest, he fed him. You know, God, God knew that Elijah needed more than a lecture, more than a reprimand, more than just correction or chastisement. Elijah needed to get his strength back. Elijah needed to be fed, and that's exactly what God did for him. You know, every one of us are going to have dark moments in life, and when we do, we will find that God knows just how to meet that need. God allows everything to happen in our lives for a reason, and in those moments of darkness, God has what you need. We've got to look to him. I'm thankful that God is sensitive to his needs and sensitive to our needs tonight. But not only is God sensitive to our needs, God's compassionate. God not only fed him and, and allowed him to rest, he showed compassion in how he dealt with him. He, he, was, he was tender with Elijah. He, he had, there were many things that God could have rightfully said to him. And the angel didn't, didn't come to him. And the first time we looked there in verse 5, the angel touches him or shakes him and says, get up and get back. He didn't, he didn't do that. Instead, he, he, he touched him, he, he, he kindly woke him up, gave him food. Elijah's heart isn't right, there's no repentance, no apology, no awareness. He is a man in desperate need of, of coming back to God, but God was gentle with him. You know, too many Christians, and I think it's to the fault of some um, pastors or some teachers or other, other Christians that have given other people the idea that our God is, is sitting up in heaven with a baseball bat. And anytime we mess up, anytime we think wrong, that we're just going to get hit with it and get what we deserve. That's not how God works. Now, don't, don't get me wrong tonight. God is a God that will chastise and will correct us. We have evidence in his word. He's instructed us that that, that can, that can and, and often will happen. But he's also long-suffering. He's also patient. He's also very kind and gracious to his children. And I'm very thankful tonight that he is. I'm thankful tonight that God knows what we need, and he often has dealt tenderly in my life, and no doubt in yours as well. It's, it's, we, we, we see God, his kindness shown by his tenderness, but also by his presence. When Elijah ran... He ran without the, seeking the counsel of God, didn't he? Where did God show up? He showed up there on the top of the mountain. And everywhere Elijah went, he was there. But to this point, 
Elijah went everywhere God wanted him to be, but at this time, we see Elijah running out of the, out of the will of God and out of where God wanted him to be. And even though, I'm thankful for this tonight, even though Elijah ran away from God, God did not run away from him. And in spite of his failures, in spite of the mistake he made, God was still faithful to be there, and he did not forsake him. And God has the same grace for us. You know, I think many of us tonight can think of times where we deserved our God to forsake us. Anybody with me there? Think of many times in my life where I deserved God to stop trying with me. Where I deserved him to not bless me with his presence, to convict me. I can think of many moments in my life where I deserved that and he could have. But he has a promise where he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's also said, lo, I am with you, what? Always. Book of Ephesians chapter 4 says, we are sealed unto the day of redemption. He's not going to leave. He purchased us, he, and he will not deny what he's done in us. And regardless of what you've done in life, regardless of what's happened to you, regardless of where your mind is, has, has, has gone, regardless of how far you've drifted from God's will, the love of God for you never wavered, never changed, never lightened. I love what Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 31.3. If you don't know that verse, I want you to write it down. Jeremiah, the Lord, it said, the Lord appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That's God's love. And, and, I, and I love here that we find God still coming to him where he was. You see God's, God's grace and his presence and his provisions. Not only did God never take his presence away, but God still met his needs out of his will. And again, let's be clear tonight, if you, go, if you go into sin, if you go away from God's will, God will deal with you patiently, with love and with compassion. But if we refuse to repent, there will come a day when you'll be chastised for your sin. Verse after verse on that. We've preached on that often this last year. But God showed grace in how he provided for Elijah. And God's grace is shown in his presence, his provision, and his patience. Are you thankful tonight for the patience of God? Even when you fail him, he is faithful because he has plans for you. He has, he has plans for your life. He loves you. He is good. So to come out of the depths, first thing, experience the goodness of God. Second thing, receive the words of God. We see Elijah, that first thing he needed was God's goodness. He got it. But then God had something for him. And we look here in verse 9, it says, And he came thither into a cave, and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now he's ranting. He's got his energy up. He's telling God how he feels. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still small voice. 
And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? We find, first of all, God rebuking Elijah. Elijah left where he was. After he got his strength back, he went to Mount Oreb. And he went to a cave and he sat down. And God came to him. And God asked Elijah the question, what doest thou here? God God is looking to him. And he's he's basically saying, what are you doing in Mount Oreb? What what do I have for you? Where, Where did I send you? He's saying, did I not send you to Israel? Shouldn't you be in Israel leading my people and in a great revival, they saw all that, all that I did there. They're ready. I didn't call you to run to this cave. I didn't call you to hide yourself away. I called you to stand before kings as you've done before, to defy the false gods as you did on the mountain, to be an example of righteousness. So Elijah, why are you here 100, 100 miles away? Why are you in this place? You know, God looked to Elijah and he wanted him to examine his priorities. And and in our moments of darkness or in our moments of being far from God, the same question God is asking us. What are you doing? And you may look at at your life tonight and say, what am I doing here? Is God asking the same thing of you? God died and he paid a penalty on the cross you can never pay for yourself. And God did not save us to be in a depressed state of mind. God did not save us to be living in sin. God did not save us to to run out of his will. God did not save us to to be conformed to the world and to to not follow his word. That's not why he saved us. And the question may be asked tonight, what what am I doing here? What are you doing here? Why is your attitude toward the church a certain way? Or why is your attitude toward other Christians a certain way? Or why are you allowing yourself to live in bitterness? Or why are you allowing yourself to, to... not be the witness you need to be? Why are you allowing yourself to constantly be negative or unthankful? Or why, why are we in this state of mind? You know, and God was asking that question to Elijah, what doest thou here? Why are you on this mountain? And then he commanded him. He says, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Elijah, go there and stand. God, right at that point, he wanted him to understand where he was, ask that question, then he wanted him to do what he wanted to do, and he was waiting for absolute surrender. You know, Elijah, at this point in his life, after following God for the three and a half years, doing everything God's way, had allowed Ahab, Jezebel, and the sins of, of many in Israel eclipse his God. And God was calling him back here to a place where the only thing that mattered was God. The problems Elijah was facing, Jezebel wanting him dead, whose problem was that? Elijah's or was it God's? It was God's. And and we need to understand tonight, your problem is not your problem. Your trial is not your problem. Your depression, your discouragement, your defeat isn't your problem. When we have problems in life, the real root of the problem is that that has gotten bigger than God. And if God is really in control of our life and not ourselves, 
then we will remember that he can take care of whatever situation that is. Whatever problem that is, whatever circumstance that is, he's bigger. And then God reminded him of who he was. As Elijah was, had searched his own heart, God told him to go stand and, and surrender, go up there, do what I said to do. Then God did this incredible thing in front of him there in verse 11. We, we read there that a strong wind rent the mountain and broke the rocks. It, it hit that mountain hard, but God wasn't in the wind. An earthquake came and shook the mountain, but it says God wasn't in the earthquake. A fire came, but God wasn't in the fire. God was in none of those things. And after those, those great things that happened, there was a still, small voice. It wasn't through the extravagant work of God through nature that spoke to Elijah. It was in silence where God spoke to Elijah. And what the earthquake, what the fire, what the wind could not do, a still, small voice did. That's exactly what Elijah needed. God wanted to teach him that it's, it's God's work in the heart of the individual that is vitally important, not these mighty things or these, these big answers or these, these huge works that, that matter. What matters most is God working on the heart. You know, God's voice in your life will not always come in a way that you expect it to come, will it? I think many of us have, have come to grips with that at different times in our life. But just because he's not speaking in a way we expect him to speak, it doesn't mean that he's not speaking doesn't mean he's less at work. Often we, we look for God in such big ways that we miss out him speaking to us. Some, sometimes the greatest works of God are done in a secret place of the heart. And as God speaks to the heart, he reveals himself in ways that we would have never seen or understood in our life. Now, it's God's desire for you tonight to grow in his grace, to grow in his knowledge above him just doing the extravagant in front of you. And in those dark moments that we come across, more than we need a miracle, more than we need an immediate healing, more than we just need him to step in and, and answer the, the prayer or intervene in an incredible way, we need to just sit and listen for God to speak to us, for his word to touch your heart in a way, for, for you to be in a time of prayer and for God's peace to just come over your mind. Have you had a meeting like that with God? It doesn't happen on accident. It takes us being still. It takes us not being distracted. It might just take you getting to the mountain and, and waiting beyond the noise for God to speak to you. He overcame these things by experiencing God's goodness, by receiving his word, that still small voice. And then last thing, very quickly, by obeying the plan of God. So God asked him there in verse 9, what doest thou here? Then he did all these things, brought the earthquake, the wind, the fire, all those things, then a still small voice. The, and then the, at the end of verse 13, he said again, what doest thou here? In verse 14, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, verse 15, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abimeloah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. 
And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Heziel shall Jehu slay. And then of the escape of the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. He says, what doest thou here? Have you read there in verse 14, Elijah gave the same whiny answer, didn't he? And, 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 as, and as we look here, Elijah's answer again, he says, what are you doing here? All Elijah could say is what happened to him again and what the people were not doing. Very past tense, wasn't it? That's, that's in the past already. But the question God had for him was, what doest thou here? Why are you here today? God had a new plan for him. And, and that day he was living at that moment is what mattered. Not what the mistake he'd already made, not the stuff that happened in the past, not the way people responded or rejected, but what God had for him that day. There's a new assignment. And he wanted him to go. He had two kings to anoint, a prophet to anoint. He was given an assignment from God. And he went. You know, every, every Christian who has gone from God or finds himself in a very low place, you need to listen for that still small voice and wait for the assignment. And then obey. God wants to use you again. If you're here right now, God has plans for you. God has things he wants to be done through you. Don't waste time. Don't continue to live in the past or live in mistakes. Don't live in hurt. Don't live in, in fear. Do what it is right now God wants you to do. And there might be someone here tonight that says, I don't know what he has for me. I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know where he wants me to go. Well, why don't you just do what you do know right now? And then wait for that still small voice when it comes to lead you to the rest of the things God has for you. Now, we don't, many of us tonight, we may not, you may not know God's perfect will or God's future plans for your life, but what we do know is that God wants us to live with his love to the world and show it. He wants us to, to live with faith. He says without faith it's impossible to please him. He's told us to go and to spread the gospel to every creature. He's told us to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. He's told us all those things. We may not know God's will in the future for us, but what we know is we can do what it is that he's instructed every single one of us to do. And what I want to encourage you tonight, no matter what state of mind you've been in, no matter what mistakes have been there, no matter how many people may be opposed or against what you're doing, God's commanded us to do a certain amount of things as Christians. So let's start there. Get back to doing it. Be the, the husband, the, the wife, the father, the mother you need to be. The son, the daughter, the brother, the sister, the friend. A witness. We know we are to pray. Pray for others. Be a good employee. Be a good boss. We know God's commanded. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what we need to do today. Get back to the assignment. I'm really thankful for this chapter. This great prophet made a great mistake, allowed this darkness to consume him to a point where he no longer wanted to live. And God went to him where he was, helped him, and he used him again on the other side. And no matter where you are tonight, God can do the same thing for you. Understand you're not beyond the darkness. But understand, if that comes or when it comes, 
there's a way out. We just need to listen, find ourselves in his, the presence of his goodness, hear his words, and obey what he says. Every head bowed, every eye closed.